0: Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. We've brought up our first fruits. We thought about serving others. We've heard a wonderful testimony of you touching Christian's life. We, we've been challenged with your word, and now we come before you to understand all the more, to, to have it be genuine in our lives, for us to truly uh, believe and trust in you. And so, Lord, We give ourselves over to this time and ask your blessing upon it. In the name of Christ, amen. Over the years, I've had to buy some expensive things in my life. My wife's wedding ring, I've purchased several cars, I've purchased a house and two condos. I'm almost done with paying for two colleges for my children. We have great expenses in our life, don't we? And I feel like in the midst of all of that, I've, I have perceive what God has given me, and I hope that I've used it wisely. I, I think that I have humbly uh, spent my money in ways that are honoring to God. I mean, we have choices all the time about how we are going to buy things. I mean, let's say you're going to purchase a car, and maybe you want to buy a, a Toyota Prius LE. It's about $24,000, if you wanted to buy this. Not, not a bad purchase. It's a pretty good purchase. Or you could be a little more extravagant, and for $12.5 million, <laughs> you could buy a Bugatti La Noir. Noire. That's quite a car, right? $12.5 million, you could have that car. So you could see that even in purchasing a car, you could spend a little bit of money, or you could spend a lot of money, right? And in life, we have to be wise how we make our choices, what we give over to these things. Well, this morning, we come to uh, Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. And I propose to you, that when it comes to having faith, that we don't hold back, that we go all in that we spend the $12.5 million. We give everything we have to Jesus with our faith. Hebrews 11.1 gives a wonderful definition of faith. So let's read that together. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance of what we do not see. Another way of saying this is that faith is a tangible response to a spiritual reality. You put your faith in something that you do not see. You put your confidence in something that you believe to be true. Faith gives you hope, and what you put your faith in, the one who put your faith in, will be faithful, will show himself to be true. For many new Christians, faith is difficult, right? You come to be a Christian And you're not sure about this God thing at the beginning. Kind of what Christian was talking about. You're a new Christian and and you're not kind of, you're not sure about what's going on. And and things happen in your life and it doesn't seem like God is acting on your behalf. And so then you start to doubt a little bit. Is this God real? Is, is, Is Jesus really a Savior and a Lord? And you begin to doubt a little bit. But then as you get stronger in your faith as you trust in God more, as you see God work in your life, then your, your faith grows stronger and stronger and stronger. It's like this trust test that I did. I was so proud of Alexis for doing that. It's not easy. If I, if I chose five of you randomly and I asked you to come forward and I asked you to turn around and fall backward, I think the first person or maybe the first couple people would be really tentative. You know, like, I'm bigger than a little child. Will Pastor Chris... Really catch me, right? And the faith thing might not be there. And then maybe by the third person or the fourth or the fifth, maybe they would be a little bit more confident seeing me prove myself true over and over and over again. And that's kind of what we do with God, right? We kind of test God in little ways. And we say, is God going to prove himself to be true? Do, can I put my faith in God more and more? And yet in our humanists, we can struggle in our faith, even when we see examples of faith. You've probably heard of Charles Blondin, and maybe even heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because I think it's a powerful story for this whole concept of faith. Now, you probably know that Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker. And he lived in the, uh, well, he did this in the mid-1800s. 1859, for the first time, he walked across Niagara Falls and back. But before he did it, he asked everybody, who, who thinks that I can walk across this tightrope to the other side? And, and most everybody raised their hands. And, and he, he walked across, and then he, he walked back. And the crowd cheered. Now, he did this several times in his life. And one time, he even did it pushing a wheelbarrow. And everybody was all excited. They were nervous as he walked across. And they were nervous as he walked back. But then they were so excited. And then he said to them, How many of you think that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and walk them safely across and back? And everybody raised their hand, right? You know the story, right? Then he said, and who will do it? (laughs) And all the hands went down. See, they they thought they had faith in him. They they thought that he could do what he said he could do. They'd seen him do it. But when it came time for them to put their life on the line by sitting in a wheelbarrow and being walked across and back, they could not put that kind of faith in Charles London. They believed they had faith, but in the end, they did not prove themselves to have that faith. See, that kind of happens with us and God, doesn't it? We say, I believe, I believe, I believe, and then God says, give me your all. And you're like, oh, um, can I just give you part of my life? Can I just give you some of my things, can I, can I just put you like first sometimes? And we hold back. And God says, give me your life. Trust your life to me. Trust your life to me. People, we have difficulty doing that, don't we? We see many Bible stories that talk about faith. And we just read one this morning. Roger just read it in Matthew 8, 5 to 13, where this Jesus is entering Capernaum and And this centurion, this soldier, comes to Jesus and he says, My my servant is paralyzed. He's lying at home. He's paralyzed. I've heard about you, Jesus. Will you heal my servant? We see the humility and the faith of the centurion coming to Jesus and asking for Jesus' help. And then Jesus says, Well, do you want me to come to your house and do that? And then he shows even more humility, right? Read the yellow. Whenever you see yellow, read that. In Matthew 8.8, 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. See the faith that he has in Jesus And Jesus responds in in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion believed that just by by Jesus just saying the word, that he had that kind of power to heal his servant. And the servant, we see at the end of that passage, was healed at the exact time when Jesus... Spoke the word. He showed his faith in Jesus, and Jesus proved him to be true. See, the point of the story is that the centurion believed that, the po- that Jesus possessed power to be greater than any power in our world. Up to this time, usually when healings were performed, they were in the presence of the person, and they laid hands on the person, and they anointed the person with oil, and they did all these things. But to, to heal from a great distance? That was unheard of. But this was indeed the case for Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who spoke a word and creation came into being. This is the God who has the power to do what we ask him to do, what we trust in him to do, to bring us healing or blessing or victory or protection Or production. See, the key is to believing that Jesus can do what He says He will do. Whatever the timing, God, whatever is God's timing, and whenever is the right time and the right way, we believe that God will do what God will do. See, now that's not always. Remember, we learned last week: just ask and seek and knock. That it's not anything you ask for; it's within God's will. But we believe that God will work out His will in our life. And if he doesn't work out his will in the way that we ask him to, he'll work out his his will in a way that will be best for us and will glorify his name and his kingdom. Where do you need help? Where do you need healing? Where do you need protection? Where do you need Jesus to come alongside you and to bless you? See, we need to believe that Jesus can do this. And when we pray, we need to pray with the kind of faith that the centurion had. I bet if I asked you, we probably all would have to raise our hands that at some point in our Christian faith, we have had doubts. We have had doubts that, that Jesus could heal a person we we're praying for. We have had doubts that Jesus could use us to bring someone to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We know that we are called to do this. We know that Jesus says he will do these things, but we have had we have doubts. have doubts. We don't always believe. May this morning we have greater faith. May we believe all the more. We, We trust in Jesus all the more. When we go out this week and we come across someone who's hurting, maybe it's difficult for you to pray out loud, but you feel the Spirit moving in you and you lay your hand on that person and say, can I pray for you? Maybe there's someone that needs healing, and you say, I'm going to pray that God would heal this person. You you put yourself out there, and you trust all the more. We believe that in faith we can overcome whatever we face. But the passage goes on to to talk about faith even more. Another aspect of faith a scribe is a person who has great knowledge of the law of God. They, they copy the law of God onto documents and they, and they teach the law of God to, to other people. And one day the scribe, this scribe comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, I want to be your disciple. Now when you read this verse, it's really interesting because it seems like Jesus is kind of Putting the person off, right? Matthew 8, 20. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Because he says, Jesus, I want to go wherever you go. I want, to, I want to dwell where you dwell. And Jesus is like, the Son of Man, I don't have any one place. Seems to kind of put him off. And then another person comes along and he says, I want to be your disciple, but first I need to go bury my father who just died. And again, Jesus says, seems very insensitive and his response in verse 22, where he says, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Right? Seems really insensitive. But my father, I need to go bury him. See, but if you look at these, these verses closely, if you look at what's going on in this situation, you, you understand that Jesus knows the heart of men and women. And Jesus knows that their response, their statements are not sincere. They don't really want to give their faith to Jesus. They don't really want to give their life, their full self, to Jesus. They're holding something back. And Jesus knows this. And he says, unless you're willing to give me your all, you're not going to follow me. And when tough times come, remember we talked about last week about building that foundation of stone. It's the faith that we have in Jesus. When tough times come, when struggles, troubles, hardships death, when that comes into our life, if we don't have sincere faith, then we are going to fold and run. And we will no longer believe. See, we live in a country where the ideology is me first. I do what I want to do. I do what I enjoy. I do what I deem to be important. See, the problem with that is that we are short-sighted and we miss the mark. Because God has so much more for us than we could ever have for ourselves. God can use us in such greater ways than we could ever imagine, but we just want to have this fun over here, or we just want to do this selfish thing over here, and we miss the mark. See, faith leads us to a place where we give ourselves more. A few years ago, back in 1995, Tom Block, who was the CEO of H&R Block, Gave up, his, uh, gave up his job. He quit his job as the CEO of H&R Block. And he went to teach at St. Francis Xavier Middle School in Kansas City, Missouri, where his salary became about $15,000 a year, 3% of what he had been making. He gave up this job as the CEO of H&R Block to teach at a middle school in Kansas City, Missouri. Why would he do that? Because he realized that his job was getting in the way of his relationship with his wife and with his two sons. He said the hardest thing was to tell his dad that he was doing that. His dad was the co-founder of H&R Block. But he says this. These are his words. I didn't want to look back on my life and say, gee, you had an opportunity to play a bigger role in your children's lives, and you didn't take it. He was realizing that he didn't really have a good role as a father and as a husband. Reader's Digest article talks about a woman named Elsa and her husband who one day were having an argument. And the argument was going on and on, and and the husband realized that he was going to be late for work, and so he just starts to leave, starts to walk out. And his wife says, what are you doing? We haven't finished anything here. We haven't resolved anything here. We need to finish this conversation. And at that point, her husband stopped and thought for a moment and then walked over the phone, picked up the phone, called his work, and told them to cancel all his morning meetings. And with that, Elsa realized that her husband valued their relationship more than his job. See, our, our, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children, our relationship in our family is very important. We have to sacrifice for those things, don't we? But you know what is even more important? is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to understand that Jesus needs to be the most important thing in our life. And we, when we put Jesus first, all these other things will take care of themselves. Right? Seek you first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We need to put Jesus first in our life and then all these things will fall into place. We will make the right choices. We will, we will walk the, the right path. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and they've started to tell me the story about how their faith is waning and how their Frustrated with God because they have all these problems and God isn't taking care of them. Kind of the situation that Christian was feeling. And so I start to talk to them more and more. And the more I talk to them, the more I realize that Jesus is not the Lord of their lives. They haven't put Jesus first. They really only call on God when they have a problem and they're like, God, will you take care of that for me? And then when God doesn't take care of it for us, Like, God, what's your problem? Why are you doing this? Why have you brought this into my life? Not realizing that their choices really is what brought this into their life. And their lack of faith is really keeping God from working in their lives. See, God's work in our life starts when we ask for him to be our savior. But it doesn't stop there. We need to make him our Lord the Lord of our life. He needs to be on the throne. He needs to make the choices. He needs to to guide us in the way we go. Every morning, our first thing should be to God. God, what do you want me to do today? To follow Christ requires sacrifice and faith, but the cost of following Jesus is worth it. Say that with me. The cost of following Jesus is worth it. If you get anything this morning, I pray... That this will get through to you, that the cost of following Jesus, of making Him your Lord, the cost of following Jesus, is worth it. Well, in our final passage, we get to uh, a situation where Jesus is with the disciples on a boat, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden this storm comes upon them, and the storm is so great that the waves are crashing across the boats, and the disciples are fearful. And Jesus is back in the back of the boat, sleeping. He's sleeping. And so they do what probably you and I would do. We'd be pretty fearful in a situation like that, right? It looks pretty scary. We'd be like, oh, you know, what are we going to do? This is too much. But we have Jesus, you know, he just did all these things, right? So they wake Jesus up and they say to Jesus, Lord, save us. We're going to drown, right? They're fearful, aren't they? They don't know what to do. How often in life do we face storms? Not storms on the water in a boat, but storms of life, right? We face difficulties, we face challenges, we face hardships, right? We face great sickness or the dying of a loved one or we face financial issues or the loss of a job and and on and on these things come into our life. We face these storms of life and what happens? We get fearful, right? We get fearful. The good news is that disciples knew where to go, right? They went to Jesus. And hopefully you and I know where to go. And when we face this trouble, when we face this struggle, where do we go? I hope you go to Jesus first, always. The bad news is that they were greatly troubled. They were afraid. They they lacked faith, right? They didn't trust God to take care of them In this situation. And that happens to us all the time. Where we get fearful. And in our fear, we don't trust. We don't believe that God's going to take care of the situation for us, right? We get anxious and we get stressed and we get fearful. We're not trusting God to help us be victorious over the challenges that we face. We're not seeing how Jesus can work. And so Jesus responds to them in verse 26, read the yellow with me. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, now if you come to the story, you would say, well, I'd be fearful too, and I would have woke up Jesus too, and I would have asked for Jesus' help too, right? Aren't we supposed to ask for Jesus' help? But what he was disappointed in them was, is not that they asked for his help, but the fear that they faced. Not realizing that Jesus was right there and that he was going to take care of it for them. They lacked the faith that they needed. See, they had followed Jesus. They had watched Jesus. They had seen Jesus heal people, right? He had challenged people in their faith. And they had the very presence of power of God right there in their boat. And yet they were still fearful. And they still didn't get it, even after he did it, because they said, the men were amazed and asked, what, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He surprised them again. They'd seen some, Jesus do so many things, and still he surprised them, right? And that's a good thing. How often does God surprise us? Well, when we have faith, he does. When we trust in him, he does. And yet, he shouldn't, right? We should have this so big a view of God that nothing he does should surprise us. But yet God surprises us all the time because we, we lack that faith to understand the greatness of God, the power of God. With faith we can have eyes to see what God can and will do in our life. God's power at work all around us. Do you see God's power at work in and through your life? That requires faith. You need to believe it. You need to trust it. You need to access it. See, your best witness, my best witness, when we're building relationships with people who do not know Jesus, our best witness is the power of God working in and through our lives. That's our best witness. When people see the power of God at work, They'll be amazed. When people see the peace in our lives in the midst of the turmoil, they'll be amazed. That's the power of God at work. The power, it takes the power of God to keep you calm in the midst of life storms. And that is our best tool for witness. That power can work in and through your life, in and through our church, where we share the gospel with others, where we tell people about Jesus. How can we get people to understand the power of God if we don't believe in it ourselves? How can we get people to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior if we aren't fully sold out for God, if we don't really believe it ourselves? When we have faith, God works. And when God works, we don't need to be amazed. Because it's what we know God will do when we call upon him. May we believe so that we are not amazed, but trust in God to do mighty things. It's a story, a true story of a man named Kenny who took his family to Disney World. And while they're at Disney World, they found their way to Cinderella's castle. And at one point, they were there and Cinderella herself walks in. And all the children, of course, run over to Cinderella, right? Except this one little boy. And as Kenny looked at the little boy a little closer, he, he saw that his face was disfigured and his body was deformed. Kenny figured that the boy probably was afraid to go to close, so close to someone so beautiful that maybe she would reject him for his ugliness. At that moment, Kenny wished that he could do something for the little boy to help the little boy in this predicament. But then Cinderella did something that Kenny couldn't have done himself. She broke away from the kids, and she walked over to this little boy, and she knelt down, and she got face to face with this little boy, and she kissed him on the cheek. And this little boy got this smile that was so big, Kenny thought his face was burst. What an amazing story. You can only imagine how that little boy, who probably didn't think he was lovable, felt loved in that moment. And we think that's a great story, and it is a great story, but you know what? We have a better story than that. We have the story of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us so that we could feel worthy, so that we could feel lovable, so that we could feel beautiful, so we could be those children of God that God wanted us to be, so that we could come into his very presence and be loved by him, a love like no other love. And this God died for you and for me to show us that we are indeed worthy of love. And this God wants everyone to know him, wants everyone to be in relationship with him, wants everyone to trust in him. This is the story that we have to tell. It is a beautiful story. And so as we close, there's, there's only one faith that we are to have, but there's three aspects of faith that we learned this morning through our scripture the first one is the faith that believes even though Jesus isn't physically here with us, we still believe. We know because in the depth of our being, we believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus is our Savior. The second is a faith that makes Jesus the most important part of our life. We don't make excuses because we know that we are supposed to believe. It's what we created to do. And we believe that when we make Jesus the most important part of our life, all the rest of our life will fall into place. And third, a faith that trusts in the midst of the storms of life, knowing that Jesus is there and will help get us through it and help us be victorious over it. This is the faith that we are called to have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, wrote this. There's only one way of believing on Jesus Christ, and that is by leaving all, by leaving all, and going with the incarnate Son of God. Faith requires that we leave it all. we leave it all behind, and what God wants us to have, he'll bring with us. We leave it all behind in the sense that we make Jesus first in our lives. We leave it all behind so that our faith can be fully in God, and not in the things of this world. And trust that God will take care of us. And God will lead us in a way that will be wonderful, powerful, and meaningful. Let us pray.